Well, good morning, Life Co. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah? I really pray that everybody had a great Christmas day yesterday with your family, with your friends, whoever you were hanging with yesterday. I know I did. It was fabulous. You know, this morning, I just want to say to the church, I feel like I'm one of the most blessed men who have ever walked the face of the earth. I live with my wife, Debbie, of 44 years. <laughs> that carries its own crown in heaven, trust me. Living with me for 44 years, woo. Ah, Lord God, you're right, not me, her. <laughs> I have two amazing son-in-laws. One is with me this morning in this service, and the other will be here in the next service, so I'm happy about that. Uh, Raised two daughters, Susan and Laura. Laura will be here second service as well. And I got to tell you, um, I could not be prouder of her. I love her so much and love my son-in-laws and um, just really appreciate it. If that wasn't good enough, then I am part of the most amazing pastoral team I've ever encountered, seriously, in this church. And we sit under a pastor, Kyle Lashley and his wife, Mackenzie, that I absolutely adore. I love them with all of my heart. It's a privilege, Pastor, to be with you and to be sitting with you in this church. So it's great. You know, I've often said to people that when the angels came on that night of all nights, the night that changed everything, right? They weren't coming to create a holiday. They had, didn't have Christmas trees in mind, presents around the tree, or anything like that. They came bringing a message of good news to all men everywhere for all time. So the Christmas message can be preached year-round, right? It's not confined to a day or a season. And so I'm going to hang with the Advent uh, message this morning, if that's all right, because I want to add something to that message. We've heard about uh, hope, we've heard about peace, heard about joy and love that came through Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk about something else that came through Jesus Christ, all right? I want to talk about today that Jesus dealt with our shame. Jesus dealt with our shame. You know, when Adam and Eve were created, they lived in this amazing atmosphere, continual open heavens, in perfect fellowship with God, in perfect agreement with God. They knew nothing of sin. They knew nothing of any negative emotion that we deal with. It's hard to even get our heads around it, but that's where they lived. But on the day that they disobeyed the Lord and they ate of the fruit they had been commanded not to eat, they came out from under the dominion of God, out from the kingdom of God, and under the dominion of the enemy and into the kingdom of darkness. And I want to tell you that, that when that happened, it was catastrophic for them and for you and I this morning. It was horrifying to them. They began to experience things they had never seen or felt before. And one of the very first negative emotions they felt was shame because they were naked. Shame is ancient 
It started then, but guess what? It's still with us today, right? And so when God came looking for them, they hid because they were ashamed. But even before that, this shame drove Adam and Eve to try to cover their own nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves over them to cover their nakedness. But when God came looking for them, it became obvious that these fig leaves had little to nothing to do with anything because when God came, shame came upon them and they went hiding from God anyway. So God, in a prophetic act, covered them with animal skins. But understand, animals had to forfeit their lives. Blood had to be shed, and they were covered with the skins of these animals. But can I tell you, it covered their nakedness, but it did not do away with the shame or the sin. In fact, can I tell you this morning that for the centuries in the Old Testament where animals were sacrificed over and over again, year by year, it did not take away the sins of man. The shame was still upon us. Hebrews tells us it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. You see, the best thing they could get from those animal sacrifices for those centuries was to take their sin and shame and roll it forward for a year. And the next year they had to come back and do it all over again. And they had to do it again and again and again, year by year because it could not take away their sins. But I have some good news this morning. Jesus came and Jesus shed his blood. And guess what? His blood was powerful enough to take away our sin and to take away our shame. Can you say amen? But something else happened when Jesus came. I want to read it to you out of Hebrews 4. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now hear this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect, say it with me, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, there is nothing you and I face today or any day in our life that Jesus doesn't understand. He gets it. Amen? And that includes shame. He took our shame upon himself. Now, I want to make a distinction before we go any further this morning. I don't want to give you a wrong impression today. I want to make a distinction between the shame that comes with conviction. There is a shame that comes when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to convict us of sin. But it's not an everlasting shame. It doesn't hang on. It only drives us to our knees so that we can come before the Lord and cry out to him. And his promise to us is that when we do, he forgives us of all of our sins. He cleanses us from all of the uncleanness and he takes away our guilt and our shame. Amen? 
It's not an ongoing thing. It comes and then it goes. But the shame I'm referring to this morning is different. It's a man-made shame that comes upon us through our sinful nature and it tries to dominate us and define us and hang on to us with such condemning power. It becomes this ongoing condemnation that we carry around unnecessarily. It causes us to live in this type of victim mentality that, listen, God doesn't even recognize. There are no real victims in the kingdom of God. He doesn't recognize that, right? But that's what tries to come on us. And in reality, it's our ongoing effort to sow fig leaves over our own sinfulness to try to cover it ourselves when we cannot. It's as though somehow we think we have to make things right with God. And so this stuff hangs on to us. But Jesus came to deliver us from this man-made shame that tries to come on us. He dealt with it on our behalf. It's an ancient foe. It's here. And can I tell you this morning, there's not a person in the room this morning who has not been touched by shame. We're all touched by it on one level or another, including and maybe especially me. And many of us live under the influence of shame and we not, may not even realize that's what's happening to us. Are you with me? Jesus came to take away our sins so that we no longer have to be about the business of sowing fig leaves over ourselves to cover ourselves. He did it. So this morning, I want to tell you a Christmas story, but it's one that I'm not sure you've ever heard before. It's the story of a Savior fully acquainted with this man-made shame from birth to the grave. I need to give you a little backdrop this morning to go into this story. Mary, the Bible tells us, was betrothed to Joseph. Now, if we're not careful, we're going to think about betrothal like an engagement in our culture, right? When we are engaged to somebody, there are certain commitments made. We intend to get married. We set dates and we start planning the wedding, right? But if we back out of that engagement, it's a not a good thing, but there's no real stigma attached to it, is there? You could even be unfaithful. It would be sinful before God, but really you're not labeled an adulteress or an adulterer backing out of an engagement because the commitments are made on wedding day, not during the engagement, right? That's when we stand before God. But in their culture, betrothal was very, very different than that. In the betrothal, every commitment and every promise that they were ever going to make towards each other has already been made. They were, in our eyes, already married. There was a period of time between betrothal and when the husband brought the wife home, but that time period was just so he could get the house ready. Right, And when he brought his wife home, there was a celebration, a marriage feast, but that's really all it was. They didn't make any more commitments because the commitments had already been made. 
They were married as far as the law was concerned, right? Now, here's my point. In that culture, if a woman had a relationship with a man during the betrothal period, she was considered an adulteress. So you can imagine when the angel came to Mary and said, guess what, Mary? During your betrothal period, before Joseph even brings you home, you're going to be found with child by the Holy Spirit. Puts a little twist on it that you don't normally think about. It's not quite this endearing little story that we always think of. Listen, she was being perfectly set up for shame to come upon her life. And when the angel said to her, this is what God has intended for you, let me read you her response. She said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Whew. What a commitment being made by this young woman in that culture. What a decision. Is it any wonder she's called blessed and highly favored? But guess what? Mary was human. Now, yes, in that moment, being, you know, approached by an angel, the glory of heaven all around you, you're caught up in that, so excited, I'm going to be carrying the Son of God in my womb. But when the angel left, then reality began to crash back in on her. How many of you have ever been in a place where God has just touched you so deeply? I have. And for me, most of those are followed by something tough going on. I go into some sort of depression or something hits me. Jesus had the most glorious baptism anybody could ever have. Man, the heavens open. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he was driven into the wilderness. This is what happens. And guess what? Mary's no different. Now she's got to wrestle with the condition she's found herself in, starting with, I got to go have a conversation with Joseph. Can you imagine that conversation? Listen, Joseph, I know this is going to be hard for you to hear, but I'm pregnant. Oh, but don't worry. It wasn't another man. The Holy Spirit came over me. <laughs> that should be easy to swallow. It's never happened in history before or since, right? <laughs> Joseph didn't buy. Not even he bought it. The Bible says that he was a righteous man. And as a righteous man, he understood how foul and how unclean this thing looked. So sinful. And to him, he only had two options. He could either expose Mary publicly and accuse her of adultery and let her live with the shame of it all. Or he could quietly put her away, giving no reason whatsoever, which in those days he could do. And that's exactly what Joseph chose to do. He wasn't buying. And he didn't buy until an angel of the Lord came and said, hey, Joseph, this thing is real. This is of the Holy Spirit. This is holy. Take Mary as your wife. That's when it happened. But can I tell you this morning, 
that this didn't change the fact that Mary is pregnant during the betrothal. That's still there. And I can promise you the community certainly didn't understand. They knew how to do the math. And so what does Joseph do? The very first thing he did was he sent Mary to see her cousin, Elizabeth. He was looking for a safe place for his wife during those first three months of pregnancy. He knew the talk had already begun. And so she goes to visit Mary. It makes, it, it just adds such uh, an inf- impact on me as to what Mary said to her and how important it was. Listen to Mary's words. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped. That's John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed. Are you hearing that? Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Not you adulteress carrying an illegitimate child. Blessed are you. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when, they, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What an incredible confirmation that must have been to Mary at that time in her life, right? It didn't take away the shame, though. It did not take away from the buzz of the the community. You know how we know? Because Joseph took Mary to Bethlehem. That was not an easy journey. And the best thing for a pregnant woman that pregnant to have been done is leave her in Nazareth, and he could have. There was nothing under the law that said Joseph had to take Mary to Bethlehem. She'd have been better off had he not physically. Why did he take her? Scholars say because had he not, it's no telling what would have happened to Mary. Listen, the tongues were already wagging. The evil reports were already out there. Shame was coming upon her. This man-made shame was already trying to come upon Mary. And he took Mary with him to Bethlehem to protect her from it. Amazing. Man-made shame was all around this pregnancy, all around the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ from a secular perspective. You know, I was thinking about this. Why didn't the father just make this a little bit easier? Couldn't he have timed this pregnancy a little differently? Couldn't he have warned Joseph in a dream and said, listen, I'm gonna let you take her home, but don't touch her until the virgin birth happens? Then all of the questions would have been out of the picture. She could have been spared of this shame in her life had he done it differently. But guess what? God chose to do it exactly the way he did it. And you want to know why? Because he knew that the shame that would come around him was the same shame that comes around you and I when we're born into this world. Jesus came to take on our shame. Can you say amen? Isaiah said it this way, he was, designed, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. 
like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and he was and was esteemed not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Jesus came into this world to be touched by our infirmities. He came into this world to identify with broken you and me. He came into this world to bear the man-made shame that would come upon you and I. We are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We are born having to face man-made shame in all of its forms, but he carried it and he came to deliver us from it. That's part of the good news the angels came to bring that night. That's the peace on earth he was bringing to you and I. Even up to the age of two, his family had to run for their lives and escape to Egypt because all the other children were being slaughtered around him. What a horrid place. What a horrid environment to be born into. But can I tell you this morning that this man-made shame tried to hang on to him all through his life. They called him a drunkard. They, they said he was demon-possessed. And that shame kept constantly trying to dictate terms and define him throughout his ministry life. In the book of Mark, get this, we're even told that his mothers and brothers at one point came to take charge of him because they themselves were convinced he had lost his mind. My goodness. Why this relentless attack of shame against this man throughout his entire life? Because that's the same attack we have going on throughout our entire lives. And Jesus came to carry it. It's that serious. And then finally in his death, we have a difficult time this morning understanding the death of a crucifixion. It was the most shameful way a man could ever have lost his life. The cross was preserved for criminals, for the scum of the earth, for the lowest of the low. Even in his death, he was surrounded and shrouded with shame. When in truth, he was born the son of the most high, celebrated by the angels of God. He was the beloved of his father. He was the spotless lamb of God, the king of kings, our great high priest, God wrapped in flesh. Always two reports going on about him. The report of the father and the report of the enemy always trying to trap him. But guess what? As the son of God, this man-made shame could not touch his life. You might say this morning, but I'm not Jesus. Yeah, but guess what? He makes us spotless just like him. 
Listen, in his early childhood, while the enemy was trying to get him to buy into the shame, here's what the Bible says. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in the favor with God and with man. Not an illegitimate son, but the son of God. In his ministry life, it's so interesting in Deuteronomy 23. The law said if you were born illegitimate, guess what? You didn't even come in to a temple or into the synagogue for 10 generations. If Jesus had been listening to the report of the law, if he'd been living under shame, he wouldn't have set foot in a tabernacle or a temple, but he not only set foot in it, he went in it on two occasions and cleansed the temple, driving out the money changers and dealing with the sinful practices of man in that temple. The very first time he walked into the synagogue in his ministry, he picked up the scroll of the book of Isaiah and he read out, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He said, today this word is being fulfilled in your hearing. I am that one. I'm not illegitimate. I'm not filled with shame. I am the son of God. I am here with God's anointing all over my life and all over my ministry. And even in his death, the death of shame, we read in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus absolutely defeated. He pulverized that man-made shame that tried to come on him for you and I. Hallelujah. And because of what he did for us, the Bible says in 1 uh, Peter, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Paul says, the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Let me get practical with you for just a moment. I'm not almost done. Almost done. Not only do you and I get born into this world with shame all around us attacking our lives, but many of us have had experiences that amplify shame in our lives. People born out of wedlock. People born into homes with drastic and, and strong uh, relational struggles going on. Maybe word curses spoken over their lives. Kids being labeled by mom and dad for things that weren't true. Maybe you grew up in a home with heavy performance orientation, things you could never live up to. Neglect, abuses of all kinds that amplify the shame in our lives. So many things happen to us to do that. And sometimes, even as Christians, you and I are dealing with it and we don't even realize it. Let me tell you what shame does. Shame will cause people to question their own legitimacy. 
it makes us feel maybe, maybe I was a mistake. We might feel more tolerated in this life than here on purpose for God's purpose. It might cause us to really feel like I've got to really work hard to prove that I deserve to be here. Sometimes hard work is coming from that, not just a good work ethic. It can cause us to want to go into hiding and cover up the things we need to be bringing out and presenting before the Lord. We just don't seem to be able to. It hinders our ability to trust. It hinders our ability to be transparent with God or other people. It can cause us to shut down emotionally. It can cause us to deal with inordinate levels of depression. All shame-based. It might even lead to compulsive addictions in our life. All shame-based. And it can cause us to constantly live in the past, beaten up over and over again by our mistakes. Yes, we gave our heart and life to Jesus, but this thing keeps nagging at us. This thing keeps trying to press us down. This thing keeps trying to limit us. We cannot live up to what God has called us to. Living under shame can't be done. And it's always there, always trying to attach itself to us. And so Jesus came, the good news, to take that away from him, or from us rather. Can I just tell you this morning that you and I were never called by God to live under man-made shame, none of us. It brings no glory to God. It brings no pleasure to its heart, to his heart. It's actually the worst position a man or a woman can find themselves in because we have taken our eyes off of Jesus and we have placed our eyes onto ourselves. It's, you see, if we really know the power of the blood of Jesus this morning, we can leave our shame with him and not pick it back up. As I was thinking about this service today, I'm going to tell you today, I just, the cry of my heart for our church today is that we would find real freedom today from our shame that's man-centered shame to find freedom from that. That is the cry of my heart today. And can I tell you the only way this shame is able to keep hanging on to our lives is because we have not trusted Jesus. We have tried to take it on ourselves. Listen, it's the Adam and Eve story all over again. We're sowing fig leaves on ourselves, trying to cover what we cannot cover, trying to relieve ourselves of something we cannot relieve ourselves from, nor does God want us to. And can I tell you, yes, some of us have been through horrid situations in our home, but can I tell you, freedom will never come to us by pointing fingers at those who have hurt us. Freedom comes when we forgive. Freedom comes when we take responsibility for ourselves. Freedom comes through our repentance before God. Freedom comes when we ask God to forgive us for trying to sow those fig leaves on us trying to cover our own shame. It's futile. We cannot do it. 
We weren't designed to do it. We have no power to do it. But thanks be to God that Jesus came to take our shame from us so we don't have to. Hallelujah. I believe the Lord wants our church family today to leave this shame-based man-made shame in 2021. Leave it there. Leave it there today. I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a few moments. And listen, don't worry about who's sitting around you. Don't worry about what anybody else might be thinking. Can I tell you that none of us is in any place to point fingers at anybody else? Me too. I'm in the same boat you're in. We all get touched by this and all of us have bought into one level or another. It's why sometimes we have struggles worshiping God with the freedom we want. It's why we have a hard time believing the good news so often. It's why so many times the things that God wants us to do, we shrink back from it because we have bought in to man-made shame that's tried to come upon our lives. And I heard the Lord say to me, tell them, leave it in 2021. There are great plans coming for, for 2022. It's going to require this church, if we're going to walk in the things God has ordained for us, to drop this stuff off. And we can do it here today, this morning. We can drop that shame to the ground. How many want to be free today? How many want to leave this mess? If your hand's not raised, you haven't heard me. <laughs> Nobody in here is, is guiltless. All of us have bought in on one level or another. All of us. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If we were doing a traditional altar call this morning, I'd be the first one in the altar. So I'm asking you to join me in this prayer. Some of you have never received Jesus, so there is no freedom for you at all until you receive him. And so I want to pray for you this morning. But this is a whole church call. Everybody in here, nobody exempted. It's a whole church call, starting with me, to drop off our shame, to stop sowing our fig leaves. We can't do it, and we all try. I want to ask you to pray with me this morning. First, for those that don't know Jesus, listen. You're going to find a freedom this morning when you receive him you've never had before. He's going to take that shame away from you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I want you to pray with me if you have never received Jesus before. Father, say it with me. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Thank you that he took away my sin and shame. I ask you, Lord, to forgive my sins today. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart to save me from my sins. Be Lord of my life. Lead me all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And now for all of us, I just want to pray this prayer. Father, every one of us in here today was born in sin, shapen in iniquity, and all of us 
are in desperate need of a Savior, not just on the day that we give our hearts to you, but we're in desperate need of a Savior every single day of our lives. Your mercy is new every morning on purpose. And one of the things, Lord, that we fight so hard is we deal with man-based shame that has come upon our lives. We so struggle trying to fully trust you and the power of the blood of Jesus over our lives. We keep picking up the shame. We keep listening to the report of an enemy who hates us. We keep allowing that shame to define us and limit us. And we ask you to forgive us for trying to cover that ourselves with our own fig leaves. We cannot. We confess that. Forgive us. And Lord, today we don't want to carry that shame around with us, not even another minute. Jesus, you shed your blood for me. You shed your blood for us. You defeated shame-based forces that came against you for us. And you have washed us in your blood so that we also don't have to carry shame around with us. Not another day. We're here today in this place to drop off all shame to drop it off at your feet. We don't want to carry it another minute. If that's you, raise your hand. Wave it to the Lord this morning. If that's you, come on. We don't want to carry it, not another moment. Bring us, Lord God, into your freedom. Bring us into your freedom today, Lord God. Put a new song in our heart. Put a new bounce in our step. Give us a new way to look up and out of ourselves and into your face today and as we move forward. And can I just tell you this before I step off the stage? This doesn't mean shame is not going to try to still attach itself to you. But what, this, what, I'm, what I'm encouraging you to do from today forward is when it tries to, Look up out of yourself and into the face of God and say, thank you, Jesus. You took my shame. I will not live under the weight of it. I will not live with that on me. I am free. Say it with me. I'm free. free. Say it again. I'm free. free. Thank you, Father. Love you all. God bless you.